It's, it's funny because I'm watching uh, Charles in the back. He's supposed to cue me to when I'm supposed to start talking. And it's, I, I never know. It's like Donald's got like, like, I don't know if he has gigantic hands or not when Donald does it. And Charles is like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So first off, uh, welcome to you in this room. It's great to see you guys. I'm glad you like brave the virus to make it this morning. I also want to say uh, welcome to Texas, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Alaska, Arizona, Kuwait still, Jonathan's still in Kuwait, Santa Maria, Orchid, Vandenberg Air Force Base, Lompoc, Rio Grande, uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. Hopefully I didn't miss anywhere, but there's a lot of places in between, so just imagine I said hi to you as well. So what do you guys think? Yeah? yeah. I have the hardest time with these masks, you know, because people, when they wear them, it's like you can't see their face. So I'm like in Albertsons, I'm talking to the guy at the deli, getting some pub burgers, and I'm like, da-da-da, and I'm cracking jokes, and I'm smiling, but he can't tell I'm smiling, and he thinks I'm just mad at him. And I'm like, ah, this is, this is horrible. Maybe he is smiling. I just can't tell. I don't know. A uh, couple things. First off, uh, Father's Day is next Sunday. And if you are a dad, what we're going to do is uh, from 12.30 to 2 p.m. next Sunday afternoon right outside Element here, you can drive by in your car. We're going to give you contactless, almost, they'll have gloves and masks on, but we're going to give you donuts uh, for Father's Day. And if you want to bring your kids in the car, the kids will get donut holes. So something for everybody. If, if, if you're the wife in the car and we forgot Mother's Day, oops, uh, ask for a donut hole as well. Or maybe a donut. I don't know. But yay, Father's Day next week. That, that's what we're doing. Uh, one last thing before we start the message today, and that's this. I've been talking to a few people this week. Uh, with all the stuff that's going on, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration with all of that. And there's a lot of people who don't know, where do we even start with this? Where do, where do we start with conversations? Where do we start with where we are, where other people are? And I would say this of what Element always talks about. What we need to do is start with the gospel. We start with the understanding of what God has done to rescue us first. Because when we realize our own rescue, the grace that has been given to us, it will change how we interact in every conversation. So we must be a people who start with our understanding of our own rescue, of our own redemption, of, the own, of our own grace that was given to us by God in whatever situation he rescued us in. So let's start there with the understanding of that and then step out into everything else. So if you are new or newer, we have this app that we use called YouVersion. And if you download that, it just says Bible. When you download it, you click on more and then events while you have that open. And what you'll get by doing that is uh, sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're in the room, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word. If you are home, this is the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 20. And it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the workings of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who trust and understand your great power that has rescued us. How you have spoken to us exactly where we are and drawn us to yourself. 
and that we begin to live that out in the world that brings great glory to you as we as a people can live and settle in the joy that you provide us. Teach us to trust you in all things. We ask in your son's good name. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so if you have a Bible, starting right off this morning, you can open to Acts 19 and Ephesians chapter 1 both. We're going to kind of be in there. I'm not going to give a long preamble and a rewind of what we've talked about because I need to just jump into where we're going today. Uh, to, what I said last week goes for this week. There's a lot of things I'm going to talk about today that has been debated by people who are smarter than me, and they have different opinions than I do. And if you disagree with me on some of the things I talk about today, that's okay. You know, we're not intending for you to drink the element Kool-Aid and have to believe everything I say about every little issue. What we want to come together on is how we are saved. And that is Jesus as God in the flesh came for us, died for our sins, rose from the grave. He is coming again. We believe in those essentials. But there's other things like we talk about today which are open-handed issues. Because today's passage is going to deal a little bit with demons and exorcism. And no, we didn't pop popcorn for you in the room, but it might just be a show. So let's see how this goes. Uh, To set the stage. Last week in Ephesus, what you saw is that magic is something they believe is an extension of their spiritual realm. The Ephesians believe that the world was full of good and bad spirits, that there is evil out there in the world beyond us. Now, we as Christians believe that as well. We just believe it differently than the Ephesians did. It's why when Paul will write his letter to this church that he established, he'll remind them in Ephesians 6.12 that our warfare is not just against flesh and blood. There's a greater working in the world around us. And when people come to the realization that evil does exist, and looking around our world today, how can you not think that there's evil in the world, right? When people get there, they start to think, I've got to find a way to protect myself from this. And typically people then move towards, quote unquote, spiritual things. Well, in Ephesus, they are people who believe that there are these evil forces out there, and they have to protect themselves. Their response becomes magic, becomes incantations. They believe there is good and bad gods or good and bad spirits. Or, and so what they want to do is get the good spirits or not so bad spirits to protect them from the really bad spirits. It's kind of like a dream catcher. Sometimes people buy these dream catchers and they put them in their cars or in their homes. The folklore behind dream catchers is they would catch all of your bad dreams and it would offer those dreams up to evil spirits to leave you alone while you slept. It's kind of just like this. So in Ephesus, they had the equivalent of what we'd call black and white magic. Now, black and white magic, actually, those aren't racial terms. Uh, Black and white magic referred to white for the day and then nighttime. You would do the bad magic at night and the good magic during the day. There's actually actually called that right-handed and left-handed magic at the same time. So black magic was like negative spells. I'm going to hurt my enemies, bring destruction upon them. White magic today is marketed to teenage girls as Wicca, right? And it's like, oh, you can do the nice spells and do nice things for people and make the boys fall in love with you, and you can have your own personal... Riverdale in your very own life. How awesome is that? Now, to set the stage biblically, we know that there's not good spirits and bad spirits. We have what the scriptures call angels and demons. And demons are fallen angels who rebelled against God, who would not rule on, in God's behalf on, in the world. They were not willing to serve God. And so what Luke does in Acts 19 is not an accident where he goes with the text, because this is the climax of Paul's public ministry. Very soon after this, Paul is going to be arrested, he'll be put in jail for most of the rest of the book of Acts. 
Acts. And so what Luke now gets to in Acts 19 is he's going to deal with the issue of power, of power. In the first few verses we looked at last week, you saw that the Spirit of God comes. And the Spirit of God brings salvation, brings new life, brings us back into God's family. At the end of the section we'll look at today is Acts 19 verse 20. And it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That word mightily is actually the word power. And there's a lot of translations who just put the word mightily there and it doesn't refer back to the rest of the text, but it should be power because that's what the entire text here is about. It's that the word grew and was strong in accordance with the Lord's power. This will connect to how Paul later will write back to the church in Ephesus in that book of Ephesians. So if you're in Ephesians, Ephesians 1 uh, verses 19 and 20, this is how Paul writes to this city. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that's the word for power, that he worked when Christ, when he raised him from the dead. Flip to Ephesians chapter 3, just right to your right. Ephesians 3 verse 16, it says this, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Should be a couple of like lines down. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Again, to your right, says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Literally, that word for might is the word power. There is this concentration of the word power that Paul keeps using because this is what this city centered themselves around. As we get into this and what I talk about, remember what I said last week. There are two types of texts in the Bible. There are prescriptive text and descriptive text. Prescriptive texts are ones that tell us what to do. Husbands, love your wives. Worship God above all. Don't murder. Don't sing in a boy band. You know, it's not in there, but it should be, right? And then descriptive texts are telling us what happened. This area was invaded. This king did this. Uh, This lady stabbed this guy in the head with the nail and nailed his head to the ground. That's actually in the Bible, but you don't have to do it because it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Sometimes what we'll do is we take these two things and we confuse those two things and we can't do that because what has happened today and what we'll look at is some people have taken these as prescriptive texts and they're not. So Acts 19, starting in verse 11, this is how it goes. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So who's doing the extraordinary miracles? God. You're in church 50% of the time. That's the answer, right? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. It's not Paul. It's God. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, with the evil, and the evil spirits came out of them. Some TV preachers today have started the hanky ministry. And it's like, send me your money, and I'm going to send you a hanky, and you can put it on your grandma, and your grandma will get all better. That's not what this is saying here. It sounds weird to our modern ears a bit, but this is a descriptive text. It's not telling you what you have to do. I've had a cold. I have blown my nose multiple times. None of those hankies have ever cured me or stopped the coronavirus, right? Did Paul just have really good hankies or really good aprons? No. It's trying to show the power of God at work in the city for a purpose. Now, could God do this? 
Yes, of course God could. God can do whatever he wants to do. But this is not a prescriptive text. It's a descriptive text, as will come next. Now, not everyone's supposed to run out and again and start that hanky ministry because God, it is showing that God can heal whoever and however he wants to. God does sometimes work in some very, very strange ways. I think we can all admit that. Today, though, what happens is we have this dualism in our world where we always want to separate the physical and the spiritual. Medicine, it tends to divide people into halves rather than seeing them as wholes. Like you go to the doctor for your body and you go to a therapist, a priest, a rabbi, a pastor for your spirit. But the scripture speaks about how these two things are, actually go together. They work as a whole. And so we have to look at many times how those work together, body and spirit. Like when people have surgery, sometimes they will end up alone and isolated. And it takes longer for them to heal. Because it's not just physical. It's also spiritual. Both these things go together. The Bible assumes that God is involved in all of the process of healing. Physical and spiritual. James 5 will tell you that. Some people today will have emotional issues because of a physical problem. And this is, there's like a chemical imbalance. And so there's a physical thing that can help fix that. Some people have a physical problem because of a spiritual issue. Many times it becomes difficult to distinguish those two things. And this is why we must be a people who see people as wholes rather than just halves. And this is important where the text is going to go with demons. C.S. Lewis says people fall into two categories when it comes to demons, and they're both wrong. One denies demonic existence, and one blames everything on demons. Like, I have heard some preachers out there blame everything on demons. It's the demon of porn, the demon of lust, the demon of drinking. You ever heard one call it the demon of diarrhea? I don't know how the demon got that job, but that's a bad job even for a demon. Like, what do you got to do to get that job? I don't know. But what I'm saying is that in Acts, it's showing that not everyone who is depressed or hears voices is crazy. Maybe some people are, but not everyone are. Well, you have to understand that Satan hates the image of God, and he hates the image bearers of God, and he wants to destroy God's image in us. And to some people, when you talk like this, it sounds like utter nonsense, and, and, and I get that. But there are literally two worlds. Uh, there is this old movie called The Usual Suspects, and there's this great line at the very end, and it says, the greatest lie the devil ever told was convincing the world that he didn't exist. It's told by this guy named Kaiser Soze. Anyway, Acts is written by Luke. Luke is a medical doctor. He is trained. He is not some you know, backwoods guy stabbing a doll with a needle kind of doctor. He is a trained medical doctor. And he says sometimes people are going to suffer from things that are not just physical. And don't get me wrong. If you are sick, go to the doctor. But let us know so we can pray for you because both these things go together. So this is all building out of the hanky ministry and the power of God. Acts 19, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So, this is Ephesus. They're always looking for some magic voodoo charm to get more power to do the things that they want to do. And so Paul is casting out demons with the hanky thing, and then who shows up? The exorcists, the ghostbusters. Who are you going to call, right? So they, they show up there, and, and they're like, we're going to talk about this Paul guy, who the Jesus, because they don't really know what in the world's going on. They just start doing it. And if there are 10 things in, in the scriptures that I could witness in person like a fly on the wall, this right here is going to be in my top five. Right here. Uh, Verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? I know, it sounds like my Yoda, just deeper. 
Maybe Yoda is a demon. That's all. Anyway, uh, so the demons are like, Paul, I know. Jesus kicked us around. But who are you? You're getting a butt whooping. Verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And I love this, because if you've ever seen a fight, like sometimes we, we'll watch MMA, and there's always a debate, who won, who lost. Well, i got to say, if when you uh, started the fight, you had pants on, and when the fight was over, you had no pants on, you lost the fight. All right? Matt Chandler said something to the effect of, uh, you know, he's bleeding everywhere, his pants were gone, so he lost the fight. That's how it works. Now, this is a descriptive text. What has Hollywood done? Hollywood has taken this and made this their prescriptive text for all of their movies. They portray every demon in every movie just like this. That is not how the Bible normally portrays demons. Remember, Luke is trying to get people to understand real and true and proper power and where it comes from. Luke is showing here that Jesus is flexing his rule over the city of Ephesus and that there is a spiritual battle that's there. And you can't use Jesus' name like a lucky charm or like a holy water or a cross or the power of Christ compels you. You must actually believe in him. They're using Jesus like a mantra, like a magic incantation. But Jesus is not magic. There is power in the name of Jesus, but that's because we believe in him. And a lot of Christians today, we still do this. Ephesus was a city that had books full of incantations. We would call those prayers. It's like I told you last week that when you used to have bookstores, you'd have a religion section. And in religion sections, they would have books about prayers. And a lot of these books would say, it doesn't matter who you pray to as long as you pray. Of course it matters who you pray to. When you're praying, you're asking someone or something to do something in your life. It matters where you send the mail. If you picked up your, your kid's sick, you pick up your cell phone, dial some just random number. Hello? Hi, can you heal my kid? You don't do that because you don't know who's on the other end. What they're talking about here is superstition. All these people in the city were very superstitious. Anybody superstitious? You all are. Every single person is. Like baseball players, they're the worst. If they are like on a hitting streak or something, they will not wash their underwear or socks for weeks. It's, it's horrible. Uh, Christians, we have little religious trinkets or crosses or things. We, we buy figurines that we love to put around our homes. It's always ironic to me that a lot of Christians like to mock Hindus for their shrines and things, but a lot of Christians will take like precious moments and they'll put them in their houses and they adore them. I gotta say, at least the Hindu gods look scary. Precious moments do not at all. I, I I know some Christians who believe if you wear a cross when you die, straight to heaven. It's like the bus pass on and off right through the pearly grace because you are wearing a cross. Do you have religious symbols or little trinkets or little things that you say or do that make you feel safe? These guys think if they just say the word Jesus, it's going to work. And what happens? They leave naked and bleeding. People even do this with the Bible. I have met some addicts who have just the the biggest, thickest Bibles you've ever seen because they've seen some really freaky stuff. And I I suppose if you're in a gunfight, you can strap it to your chest and it might stop a bullet, but it's not voodoo. It's not voodoo. Every week at Element, I try to remind everyone that we would love to give you a Bible. I do that because a little over 10 years ago, I was talking to this guy who felt terrible because he stole a Bible from his girlfriend's house because he thought it was going to protect him from all these bad things. He literally told me this, I stole from my girl's friend's house, who I'm sleeping with, uh, who lives right across the street from my wife's house that I'm still married to, right? And I said, well, you should return it, and I'll give you one, because there are verses in there about adultery and about stealing. And he said, well, what do I do? And I said, you need Jesus. And he said, do I need this Bible? And I said, yes, you should read it. You should read it. We promote that, but you read it to know Jesus better. It's not voodoo. 
So this is what happens. These people start to realize that Jesus is real and true. Acts 19, verse 17, this is what then happens. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, like I bet it did, right? Both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. In our modern vernacular, that'd probably be a little over a million bucks with, with the current rates of silver. Uh, verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to and prevail mightily. Again, that's the word power. It goes out. There is power there. Jesus is coming with the Holy Spirit, and they're flexing over the city, and the demonic is literally being pushed to the edges of the city. It is so strong that other religious persuasions see it, and they recognize that God is at work here, and there's a power that they don't possess. Some want the benefits of this without surrendering their lives to Jesus like the sons of Siva, but others have this holy fear. And a holy fear is not, oh my goodness, God's going to crush me. A holy fear is like God is amazing and awesome and powerful and and we're going to extol, praise, lift up his name and not ours. Because that's what really means to extol the name of Jesus, that we make much of his name and not ours. And I think that could go a long way today in our world with things that are going on. We want unity. We lift up the name of Jesus, not ourselves, not other people, not anyone. We lift up Jesus first above all things. That's what we do. He is the one that brings reconciliation between Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. When we center our lives on Jesus, there is unity. And as God's people, that's where we have to start. So for us, that's what we do. We lift up the name of Jesus. To worship Jesus means we need to know who Jesus is because what we think about him and his power and what he does is going to inform all of our worship. Now, as I said, in in this city, there are all these spiritual people, possibly hundreds of gods that they're looking to, and they start to realize not all these spirits are real, and the ones that are aren't always actually good. And so they start to get rid of all the junk they put in their lives to replace Jesus with. Peter Kreef says, The opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it is idolatry. Romans chapter 1 says the exact same thing, that we all worship. But we all worship things that are worthless, cars, money, uh, home, home improvement project, wife, kids, boyfriend, girlfriends, bands. We give our devotion to it, our life and our energy to all of these things. These guys realize what are going on. And so they pull out their tinfoil hats and their UFO books and their trinkets and their amulets and their tarot cards and their team jerseys, and they burn it all. Now, if this happened in our city, how much stuff would we have to burn? Probably a lot, <laughs> probably a lot. Like everyone in Santa Maria comes to Christ and they all bring their porn and their pipes and their bongs and their books, you know, lots of stuff to burn. Everything we used to worship, anything other than Jesus with is now gone and we totally belong to Jesus. And don't freak out. It's not saying go grab your rock albums and burn them. That's not what it's saying. What it's showing you is that apart from worship of Jesus, everything else has no value. No matter how great you think it is, Anything apart from Christ that you worship has no value. What you've got to imagine here, this is essentially the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And does it start with a calculated seven-step church plan? I mean, Paul probably wanted it to in his head, but that's not really how it happens. Did it start with the dissemination of pamphlets where it talks about the Romans road and the, and the way to God? People said, that sounds wonderful. I will sign up. Where would you like me to serve? 
No, that's not what happens. It's a little bit crazy that God's power flexes and everyone's like, oh my goodness, what is God doing in our city? If you're like me, I read Acts 19, I'm a little bit like, Ooh, wow, that's, that, that's, that's a little crazy. You know, like, it's like if you drove down the 101, and on the side of the 101, there's a group of people with a big old bonfire dancing around it, throwing Ouija boards into it, and you're like, hey, what's going on? They're like, we just started a church. You'd be like, okay, right? And you just kind of, did you file your 501c3 with the government? You, know, you, you just, okay, that, that's a little different. In Ephesus, the beginning of this church, it is spontaneous. It's a response to the power of God working in the city, and lives are being changed, and it's happening faster than they could probably even organize. All that sorcery, uh, all, the, all that superstition had the ideas in this roots of sorcery, and this idea that the gods are angry at me, So we have to find the right spells and incantations and behaviors and rituals to keep the gods appeased because they're always mad and they want to do mean things to us. But the central announcement of the gospel, this is why we proclaim the gospel, is that God comes and he has sent his son in power to save us by Jesus' death and resurrection and we could not save ourselves. It is that God is good and that God loves us and he sent Jesus to make peace with us because we cannot make peace on our own. We do not have to try and make peace with capricious gods. There is one God who is over us, and he has bent his hearts towards us. This is a very historical and profound shift in understanding that God doesn't change, that God is not capricious, that he is all-powerful. This is an announcement of you can know where you stand with God because he has brought peace through Jesus and the Spirit. And that news, when understood, I think even today, spreads like wildfire. What is interesting about the church in Ephesus, when you read it in the Bible, is you literally get to see the beginnings of this church and almost the eventual end of the church. If you have a Bible, open to Revelation chapter 2. Because in Revelation chapter 2, you see almost the end of this church. Jesus comes to them after about a generation, and he will tell them that you have lost your first love, the love you had at first. With all this crazy beginning, I want to show you what that looks like and maybe what happened. Because if you've ever been part of like a startup company or a church-like element that was a plant and started, it grows and builds, and then eventually it gets more complex. It has to be organized. That's not a bad thing. Every Sunday service doesn't have to be people down on the corner burning their Ouija boards and Black Sabbath albums dancing around a fire. It doesn't have to be like that. But this is what Jesus says. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, to this, city, to this church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. That's actually the word for perseverance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Now, Paul himself, he is one of these apostles, not a false one, but a true one. And that's a position of leadership and authority. Apostles were meant to come along and lead and guide that early church where they were supposed to go. And so what happens is uh, apostles have this deep connection with who Christ is. So what Jesus says is happening is that from Acts 19, which is probably early 51 AD, maybe late 51 AD, and Revelation is written somewhere between 70 to 90, maybe even a little bit later AD, depending on your view, so it's a generation later. What has happened in that generation? Well, the excitement of this vibrant, real, a true, amazing gospel stories changing lives, it grows and people are getting saved and it has to become organized. And it's, it should, it should. But as it becomes organized, apparently some people start to show up. And they say, I want a bit of this power. I want a bit of this movement. I'm an apostle too. I need a corner office. We've had people that have showed up to elements sometimes and say, God told me I'm supposed to work here. You're supposed to give me a job and I'm supposed to preach here. And we say, God didn't tell us. Bye. 
right? <laughs> like, it's kind of like a, a business starts, and some college kids get together, and they work out of a garage with one phone and no money, and then it kind of takes off and goes gangbusters like, like Apple. And everyone starts saying, I did more work than everybody else. I need more money. And you get an office building, and everyone jockeys for that corner office. It starts off as, yay, and then it becomes something, and everyone's jockeying for position. Like a, like a sports team who wins a championship, the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Stanley Cup, whatever they win in basketball, the hoop trophy. I don't know what it's called. But, but the next year, everyone on the winning team comes along, and they say, I want more money. We won because of me. What Jesus says in Revelation is your toil, your perseverance, you can't stand that type of power grabbing. You see what's happening. But the church has started in this place where it's just this joy and exuberance and the proclamation of the gospel. But a couple decades later now, all their energy is spent on internal problems. They become very self-focused, probably never meaning to even become that way. But a lot of times that's what happens. Christians become very me-centered, and we intend for a church to serve us and give us what we want. We sit back and we judge, was that sermon any good? Was the music any good? Uh, The room was too cold. The room was too hot. And we start to judge all these things. We become very self-focused. When what is the gospel supposed to do? Teach us to go out from our walls to go out and spread the good news of the gospel. And I think many times if the church hasn't become so self-focused, maybe some of the stuff in our culture today wouldn't be happening. Maybe if we went out and actually lived the gospel out in the world around us, that some of these things wouldn't be taking place. So we have to understand here is that Jesus is saying, you guys started one way and it was beautiful, and now you've moved to a place where you've lost that impulse. You're focused inward. You're becoming internally organized, which is good, but you're becoming just self-focused. So he goes to verse 3, and he says, You've abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. If you think about this in terms of music, right, it's like the the second album is never as good as the first, because the first album's all about the music, and the second one is about picking out our houses and our cars and all that kind of stuff. Happens with bands all the time. Happens in the church, too. They lost their first love. It became about them. Jesus is very affirming to the church in Ephesus. You work hard. You don't put up with evil. You test those who want to be teachers. Uh, you stop power grabbers. I think that could be said of element. I think we're pretty good about that kind of thing. But what Jesus says is, you've lost your mission and calling. Now, I can be honest with you. There, there are times that mission creep comes in at element, and we start losing, stop, you start losing our focus in certain things. And it's one of the reasons why every week we tell you what our mission is, every single week, because we realize creep can come in. And when we say it, a lot of times people just kind of tune that out. Let me give it to you, just so you have it. Our, our mission, we believe, is to teach and live out the scriptures, to teach them to you so you understand them in practical ways, how they speak to us, but then live those out in your lives. It's not just for the purpose of gaining knowledge. It's for the purpose of real-life wisdom. So how then do we live that out? We take normal community, and we try and turn that into gospel community, communities that understand what the gospel has done to rescue us so we can have difficult conversations, so we can disagree with one another and still love one another. We center our lives first around the gospel, and that disciples each other how to live these lives, and ultimately we want to plant churches. And the power to do that does not come from us, but from God and His Spirit. And we must constantly come back to what He calls us to, or we will lose our way. For you in your life, is there a time when God's strength and power were so, so real and maybe right now it's been choked out by life, uh, COVID, uh, riots, protests, those kind of things. What God wants us to see is the vibrancy and power of Christ and the resurrection and his salvation for us. 
we should be excited about what Jesus did, but also excited about what he will do through us as he leads us out in our lives. Does your faith lead you to a place where you properly fear, respect, honor who God is so we lift up his name above our own? We extol him in all things because God is calling all of us to a place where we love him first, just like that church in Ephesus was called to that. We are a people who are constantly called to return to the gospel, understanding God's rescue of us because he rescues us in power exactly where we are. This is the beauty of what it means to live out our lives as the people of God exactly where we are. His strength, his goodness, his life given to us. This is one of the reasons that Element, we try every week to remind you of communion. And if you in this room, you want to take communion today, we have individually wrapped communion cups. You can pull the top off, there's a cracker in there. You pull the next thing off, and there's like a shot of grape juice in there. You can break the cracker like normal and dip it in it, or you can just... Take them both like, like, the, like the pill that it is. I don't know. If you're at home, you can take some bread and some juice. And remember that this is what God did to rescue us. That's what communion is to remind us of, what Jesus did. He comes for us in, in humility and power. And he gives himself for us on the cross. His, his blood is shed for our sin. He is then raised to new life by God's spirit. And he offers us new life again, and we get to live in that new life every single day. It's an issue of power and the understanding that we have none, and he has it all. And he has blessed us with power and strength to live our lives every single day. We should trust and rely upon him. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they do, I'm going to invite you guys, if you like in this room, to take communion at home. You could take communion. Uh, if you need prayer uh, and you're online, on the side on, on YouTube, you can write all your prayer requests. If you want to send them to us, uh, you can send that to connectourelement.org. If you're in this room and you have a prayer request, you want to talk to somebody, you can grab me or one of the guys in the band after service, and we'd love to just pray with you of something going on in your life you want to begin to talk about. We want to be a people who walk with Christ no matter where we are, moving one another to the understanding that our community, again, does become gospel-centered community, centered around who he is and the strength and his great power that has been given for every single one of us. Uh, There are offering boxes next to all the doors. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship every week. Uh, If you're online, you can give online as well. Uh, We must become a people, again, who understand how community plays out. And many times that's done around meals. Uh, And we would encourage you as some of the restrictions begin to relax, uh, eat meals with one another. Talk to one another. Take the the sermon notes that you can get off the QR code or online if you're online and ask some of those questions to one another. What places in your life, if you're honest enough, are you superstitious? What places do you think that maybe God doesn't care or maybe God has abandoned you, not realizing that God has walked with you every step of the way no matter where you are, that that there is one God and he has rescued and saved us, and he, is, and he loves his people, and he is good towards us and calls us back to himself, and that no matter what kind of craziness happens in our world, God is sure, and God is true, and God is real, and he comes to rescue us in the person of Christ. And so we must be a people who trust him for all things because he is good. Let's live out in the strength and the power that God provides us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live our lives trusting you. 
that though this world shakes the way that it does with all the stuff that's going on, you are a God who is never shaken. You are faithful. You save us in power and might. You reign over all things. And I ask that you would teach us to trust you in that. That we wouldn't become self-focused and and make our salvation about us. That we would make our salvation about you. And in that understanding, we would then step out into our world, into many of these hard places. And bring hope and grace where there is no hope and grace. Where there is argument and division, we would be a people who bring reconciliation that we would truly learn to be your peacemakers in this world because we understand the peace that you have made with us. Teach us to trust you and understand that even in descriptive texts in the Bible, there is so much truth about who you are and your power and your strength and your loving kindness. Have us be a people who rest in the unshakableness of who you are. And we will live out our lives on that sure, solid foundation of your salvation of us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.